This is the Impact Report. I'm your host, Katie Elman. The Impact Report brings together students and faculty in Bard College's MBA in Sustainability program with leaders in business, sustainability, finance, social entrepreneurship, and more. These conversations go live the first and third Friday of each month. This week, Bard MBA's Kristen Hansor speaks with John Opperman, Executive Director of Earth Day Initiative. Hello, and welcome to the Impact Report. My name is Kristen Hanser, and I'm a current student in the Bard MBA in Sustainability program. I'm also the Senior Partnership Manager at the Green Sports Alliance, which is a nonprofit whose mission is to leverage the power of the sports industry to drive environmental and social impact. It's a pleasure to be joined today by John Opperman, Executive Director of Earth Day Initiative. John, thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. Hopefully everyone listening has heard of Earth Day, which will celebrate its 50th anniversary this year on Wednesday, April 22nd. And since 1970, Earth Day has been a catalyst for ongoing education, action, and change. Earth Day Initiative, which is a 501c3 organization, promotes environmental awareness and solutions through partnerships with schools, community organizations, businesses, and governments. Given the major 50th anniversary milestone this year, I'm very excited to speak with John more about Earth Day Initiative's work. So John, to kick things off, can you give us a brief overview of the history of Earth Day and the role that Earth Day Initiative has played in keeping the movement both alive and relevant? Yeah, absolutely. So the first Earth Day in 1970 was really just a massive um, turnout from grassroots organizations across the country. They turned out 20 million people for the first Earth Day, which is just a crazy number of people for any event in its first year, given that that was 10% of the population of the country at the time. The people took part in teach-ins and protests and marches and planting events and all kinds of things, just very decentralized all across the country. And then over the years, what has happened since then is it obviously became just a routine thing that anywhere from like a kindergarten classroom to a corporate boardroom, people take part in some form of Earth Day event every spring. It's the one sort of touch point in the calendar year where everyone wants to do something related to the environment, even non-environmentalists want to pitch in in some way. It's kind of this reminder of the connection to the earth and nature and our environment. And obviously in more recent years, uh, climate change, which is the kind of giant issue looming large in everyone's minds. The way that Earth Day has been operated is there never was really like one organization organizing from above, top down. It was always a very grassroots, even from 1970, it was very grassroots, locally, community-led, like I said, like kindergarten classrooms, corporate boardrooms, just anyone organizing some sort of Earth Day event. There are a few organizations that kind of took the mantle and ran with it, us being one of them. In 1990, that was the 20th anniversary of Earth Day. That was a real revival year for Earth Day when people kind of looked around. They said, wow, we still have a lot of pressing environmental challenges 20 years after the first Earth Day. 
people turned out in huge numbers. Our organization was born that year in 1990, organizing the largest event ever held in Central Park for Earth Day 1990 for the 20th anniversary. It was a massive concert event. And then over the years, we have grown into year round programs and we can a lot of times play a kind of connector role with various Earth Day organizers around the world. We have partners um, across Canada and France and different locales in the United States, uh, to name a few that we partner on different programs or kind of cohesive messaging when it's appropriate, especially in a landmark anniversary year. And we historically have organized large-scale Earth Day events in New York while we still connect and partner with folks around the world. Fantastic. Thank you for that nice overview of the history uh, back to 1970. And can you touch a little bit more on the different issues that Earth Day Initiative focus on? And I know there's a range of programs that the organization manages. So you, could you give a little bit more detail on that? Yeah, we have a variety of programs, like I mentioned, throughout the year. So in addition to our big Earth Day events where we connect people to different things that they can do to green their lifestyles or support environmental causes, we have programs like a sustainable food education program, for instance, where we provide toolkits to educate students about sustainable food, working closely with some partner schools around that work, uh, going into schools to hold people's hands through the process of using this toolkit. For instance, we have a sustainable food negotiation simulation that places students in the role of different hypothetical stakeholders in a food desert. So one student will play the role of a community leader, another person will play the role of a fast food representative, different roles, and then they negotiate how to bring more sustainable, healthy food to a food desert. We have a green buildings publication that educates people about trends and developments in the green building industry. We also have a renewable energy campaign, uh, which is oriented around the idea of do just one thing, where we really try to communicate to people, start with one thing that you can do to make a positive impact in your own life around the environment. And the thing that we really push people into as a starting point is switching over to renewable energy, because it is something that in many cases can be done in a matter of minutes by, for instance, joining a community solar project where you become a part of a project where you lease a portion of a solar facility, say on a two acre solar facility on a rooftop of a warehouse in Queens. Anyone in New York City can lease a portion of those panels that corresponds to their electricity bill. Then the utility company pays you for the electricity generated by your portion of the panels. In many cases, the partners that we have the utility payment that goes to you is higher than the lease payment that you're paying. So you actually make money off of the whole thing. It takes a matter of minutes to sign up and you help bring renewable energy to your own community. That's one thing that we really push for people um, wherever they are across the country. That's great because I feel like sometimes one of the hardest things for people who want to do something for the planet but don't really know how or where to start that they can just go to you guys or to an organization with guidance and an example of an action that you can take. So we find that that's probably really helpful for people to get started. Yeah, absolutely. Because the thing that we find um, being Earth Day Initiative 
people really, especially around Earth Day, are clamoring for things to do. They really want to make a positive impact, but they're confused about how. The issues are very overwhelming, but even the list of solutions can be very overwhelming. And that if you provide people a list of here's 100 things that you could do to green your lifestyle, the problem with human behavior is that if you give people a list of 100 things to do, not only are they not going to do 100, they're not even going to do one. So just getting people to wrap their head around, here's one thing that you can do. We've simplified it. Here's the thing that you can do to start. It's simple and impactful. We can always follow up later with another thing, but it's kind of getting over that hump of inaction of not knowing where to even begin. Yeah, completely agree. And so I saw that the team launched the Together We Can Climate Action Campaign for the 50th anniversary this year. Is this an example, just another example of the individual actions that people can take or what's what what, what makes this new initiative special? Yeah, so the Earth Day 50 Together We Can campaign is oriented at a couple of different things. One is that idea of together we can do this. Like if everyone just has one individual action that does add up, it gets uh, to the idea that people feel like their own individual actions don't really amount to much because the just large nature of our environmental challenges. No one feels like their actions are even a drop in the bucket in terms of solving them. But if we all move together, if we all vote, if we all do things like switch over to renewable energy, if we demand change from those in power, whether that's companies or governments, whatever it is, together we can do this. And people do feel very overwhelmed and helpless and powerless when it comes to environmental challenges. So the Together We Can campaign is aimed at the idea that together we can tackle this. In the age of what we're dealing with right now with COVID-19, I think it especially resonates that people really want this sense of community. They want a sense of together we're in this um, as one larger community. So this together we can get through this idea, I think is resonating in a way that we didn't even really anticipate when we first launched that campaign. Yeah, I can imagine. I feel like that's what everyone is looking for now, a way to come together and do something positive. And on on that point, I know that in previous Earth Day celebrations, large in-person events and actions have been a central component to celebrations. And so, as you mentioned, the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm curious if you can explain a bit about how your organization and organizations celebrating this around the world have had to pivot plans for this anniversary, how maybe challenging that has been for you all to allow for social distancing and virtual connections in the world we're currently living in today. Yeah, absolutely. So, one of our key partners going into Earth Day 50, even before this current situation, was the March for Science. So we had planned large-scale events in New York City specifically where we would have a large footprint in the city and then March for Science was going to march their event into our event and we're coordinating around exhibitors and speakers from our stage and interactive workshop space. Obviously, all of that has had to change, like many organizations. We had to very quickly pivot into alternative arrangements. What we tried to do here is we tried to use this as an opportunity to kind of demonstrate how can we 
show what activism could be like in the 21st century? How can we deal with a really uncertain situation that unfortunately we potentially could have to deal with more and more going forward with the effects of climate change ever more apparent, extreme weather events and disruptions to just our general way of life? This might be something that we need to deal with increasingly with um, COVID kind of demonstrating a situation that we need to take into account going forward with the effects of climate change and how can we go about our lives and continue to operate and talk about and move forward on these really pressing challenges that we can't just shut down. We have to continue to talk about climate change even when there are other pressing concerns with COVID-19, climate change is not going away. So let's demonstrate how we can actually bring people together, show up for each other, not in person in this case, but show up for each other virtually. And that's where this idea of the Earth Day 50 virtual kickoff event was born, where we're kicking off Earth Week on April 19th and recreating certain aspects of the in-person events that we would have had had our physical live in-person events been able to go forward. We'll have a virtual stage with a whole live stream of different speakers, including activists talking about how you can get involved, climate scientists explaining their work, various experts explaining the connection between different fields that seem unrelated, but actually there are a lot of connections with the COVID situation and climate change and mental health and food and energy and different sectors, a whole lineup of people making those connections to talk to people in their homes when people can't physically be together in person. All of that interspersed with some performances from various artists. We're working with some Broadway folks that will take part in it to kind of break up the live stream with entertainment, really recreating what would have happened on a stage at a physical event in this format of a virtual stage for Earth Day 50 on April 19th. Then this app that we have that we're developing right now includes virtual exhibitor booths where different environmental organizations, climate scientists, et cetera, will have virtual exhibitor spaces where people can attend through the app and engage with them, learn about ways that they can get involved, what these organizations do, and chat with experts about these topics, kind of pivoting to say, okay, how are we dealing with more and more uncertain times going forward? and keeping those connections to keep these conversations going around climate that are really so vital. Wow, I've never heard of a virtual exhibitor booth option before. It sounds very interesting. <laughs> yeah. And I'm curious with that and maybe some of the other elements of the app of, of how you're creating channels for people to actively engage. It sounds like with the vendor exhibit, they can go around and and see all these different types of organizations with the stage performances and some of the speakers. Can people submit questions or chat with other people online? Or how are you helping to encourage dialogue, even though it is virtual? Yeah, that that definitely is all true, that we're trying to make it as easy as possible for people to engage, even though it's online. So during the course of the live stream on April 19th, you can engage through this app. So the Earth Day 50 virtual kickoff app, you can chat with each other, you can ask questions and the various conversation threads on the app, you can connect with the exhibitors. Um, social media makes it pretty easy for people to be able to tweet questions at us during the course of the event. So definitely opening up that conversation so it's not just uh, 
passive way of viewing it, but you can actually engage through this app. And then going forward, this is just the launch of something that we can use beyond the event. So anyone that has this app can continue to learn more about environmental causes, how they can get involved, chat with each other, and connect in this forum um, that kind of provides a framework for how we could do this in the future. That was actually what I was going to ask next is looking maybe too early to look ahead to 2021 and hopefully us being in a place where we can come together again in these large events and celebrations. If you're what you're learning from this process, if you're going to be applying that for future Earth Day celebrations and finding ways to combine the in-person and the online components, that may be a a blessing in disguise or, or something in the future to offer even more opportunities for people to get involved? Yeah, I think there's a lot of discussion about how the contingency plans and adaptations that we've seen as a result of COVID-19 are potentially going to change things going forward. Like, are people really just going to be more accustomed to working remotely? Are people going to move more toward a model of doing things remotely, doing things virtually, not necessarily having so much physical office space of people in the office. I've heard stories about how in China, um, online or telephone doctor services have really picked up during the COVID outbreak. And there's a prediction that those kinds of virtual doctor services will stick around beyond this. I could see a move generally toward perhaps some forms of virtual engagement that come out of this, that we're honing our tools, honing our skills, and becoming more comfortable with these virtual ways of engaging that, who knows, maybe that will take a little bit of the emphasis off of in-person events. I don't think that that's necessarily a positive development to move away from the in-person events, because I think that that's something really valuable and something that people are missing right now but perhaps we'll be better prepared for engaging online, engaging virtually. There will be an even bigger emphasis than there even has been with social media and internet channels in the past, that maybe that will be more of a mainstay of activist organizations like ours. Yeah, it's really interesting to think about. And it'll be interesting next year at, at, at this time when we start to see what the plans are and, and maybe how they have morphed and been improved by both the in-person and the online components. So very interesting to watch that. And yeah, going absolutely. back to um, some of the items you mentioned around the partners that you work with. And in my day job, I do quite a bit of partnership work with different companies and different organizations. So I'm curious if you can give a little, in, a little bit of insight to how important partnerships are to your work, your day-to-day -day work, and maybe even some examples of some of your current partnerships particularly if we have companies or nonprofits listening today that might want to get involved with Earth Day Initiative, um, maybe some examples of how they could do that. Yeah, we honestly, as a small nonprofit, we just survive on and really rely on partnerships in terms of being able to extend our reach and our impact. 
So I think there are a lot of nonprofits that we work with that operate in this way where together we can do so much more. I didn't actually mean to make that tie-in with the Together We Can campaign, but together we can do so much more than we could as individuals. So March for Science, I think, is a good um, example of an organization that we have been able to partner with to bring all the strengths of what they provide and then the strengths of what we provide where Earth Day, we are so public facing, we're so sort of the one time a year that people want to get involved and very much individual uh, focus. Then March for Science is able to lend all the connections that they have with the field of experts and people who really know this stuff inside and out. So combined, we can communicate to the broader public through our channels, a lot of this vital messaging that is coming from climate scientists we have also this campaign that is a good example of partnership that is a sustainability commitment campaign where various companies, nonprofits, and governments are making sustainability commitments to kind of commemorate or honor Earth Day 50. And we're using Earth Day 50 as a good impetus to motivate organizations to say, okay, what can we do to take things that much further? What can we do to accelerate or make more ambitious some of our existing sustainability initiatives and use this as a platform to do even more good. Uh, so we have a range of organizations that have joined that. For instance, we have a large food distribution company that has committed to divert virtually 100% of their food waste away from their, away from landfills. Um, we have a large pension fund, which is undergoing office renovations across the country, and they are building in sustainability practices into those renovations. We have a partnership with uh, the Broadway Green Alliance, which is a coalition of Broadway theaters that is aimed at greening the operations of Broadway theaters themselves, and they made a commitment with us to engage their audiences more in that sustainability conversation, and they obviously have a huge platform to communicate to people um, that this is an entry point to get that conversation about climate and sustainability going with an even wider audience. So all of these different coalition partners are ones that wanted to come on board for this big landmark anniversary, and it was it was a good way of sort of inspiring them to go even bigger um, than what they were already doing. Yeah. Well, thank you. Those are some really great examples. So for people listening who may want to get more involved in sustainability roles or those that are just interested in learning more about other people's paths within the field, can you give an overview of your professional background and what brought you to Earth Day Initiative? Uh, yeah, definitely. So I actually, I went to law school knowing that I wanted to work in the environmental field in a non-law role. So I actually intended going into law school knowing that I didn't want to be a lawyer, but I wanted to work in the sustainability or environmental field. And I focused all of my time during law school focused on climate change policy, environmental policy, natural resources policy, and talked to a lot of alumni actually before I even went to law school. I talked to alumni of my law school to kind of figure out, is this a good idea to go to law school and not want to be a lawyer? 
and talk to people who worked, for instance, for NRDC or other environmental organizations doing work that I thought was interesting. And I kind of just picked their brains and said, how did you get into the role that you're in? Did you feel like going to law school was a good idea, considering you're not actually working as a lawyer now? And everyone said, yeah, that it really opens up a lot of doors. It gives you a good background to work in a lot of different areas that aren't necessarily law. Then after law school, I worked for a corporate law firm just for a very brief amount of time because it's kind of what you do after law school and to get just a little bit of experience actually working as an attorney. And then I transitioned over into this nonprofit in a deputy director role quickly after law school and then moved into the executive director role in the last few years. Okay, great. And have you been using some of the skills and knowledge from law school? Has it panned out the way that you thought it would and, and been helpful with the shift? Yeah, I think law school and that experience definitely is helpful in terms of kind of the way that it has you frame issues. I think understanding sort of the levers of power, I think was an interesting way that one of my professors described it, that studying law just is a study in power. Like how do you get things done? What are the different levers of influence? I think that that has been a valuable thing to have in my back pocket. It's also just the connections that you have with various people that wind up in different positions, whether it's business or government, policy, et cetera. It gives you a lot of connections to build on different partnerships and do good work coming out of that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So switching gears a little bit for this question, I have seen over the years a few other different Earth Day organizations, which seem to have generally a similar mission to yours. So I'm curious if you can explain a bit about what sets Earth Day Initiative apart from these organizations and or if you are collaborating often with different Earth Day labeled organizations or groups. Yeah. So like I described earlier, Earth Day has always been very much locally grassroots led. So there isn't one organization that really organizes on the ground events in more than one locale. Every organization is rooted in the place where it exists. To some extent, some of these organizations form sort of connections in different communities, working with different partners around the world. So that's one thing that we do a lot of, working with different partners, for instance, um, Earth Day Canada and France, that we have really good working relationships with folks there where we collaborate to the extent that it makes sense around themes and campaigns and um, real programmatic work. And I think that that's one of the nice things that all, all these organizations are very much locally led, grassroots oriented. So a lot of different cities that you could name, there's a local Earth Day organization that kind of helms things there. And it kind of is an ad hoc organization in terms of when partnerships come up, if it makes sense to work together around something, then we'll form a partnership with whoever it is. And it's a pretty fluid um, system, which I think is, it's good because it lends to a lot of flexibility and being able to come up with solutions that work, whoever the organization is that you're bringing on board. Okay, got it. That's very interesting. So the last two questions are ones that we ask all of our guests. 
So first, in your opinion, what do you see as the biggest sustainability challenge we have to take on during 2020? Yeah, I think maybe not surprisingly is motivating those in power to really tackle climate change in the near term. I think that we have seen with COVID-19, there are always going to be distractions. There's always going to be the thing that seems like it's more top of mind, it's more immediate, it's more short term, whether it's the economy, whether it's this COVID-19 crisis, whatever it is, there's always going to be a thing that is looming really large in people's minds in terms of the immediacy of the issue. And I think that's a challenge. That has been the challenge with environmental issues, but especially climate change. But it has to happen now. I mean, I think there's a big recognition that if this is going to be tackled, it has to be tackled in the short term. It's no longer a medium to long term issue. We did see this kind of moment form in the last year around climate where it really broke through to the mainstream in a way that I've never seen climate break through yet, with Greta Thunberg being named Time Person of the Year. I think it was Oxford Dictionary's naming Climate Crisis Word of the Year. Things like this, where it was just everywhere for a moment. And it looks a lot like this sort of perfect storm of factors that existed around environmental issues in 1970, when there were various environmental catastrophes. There had been a long uh, timeline of environmental activists raising the alarm about our most pressing environmental issues. And it was also a very activist age in terms of people turning out for the civil rights movement and the anti-war movement. And whatever the cause was, it was very engaged. I think we see a similar perfect storm of factors now with it being a very activist age under this administration, people turning out for the March for Our Lives, the March for Science, et cetera the work of climate activists for many decades laying that foundation of knowledge and education and then extreme weather events. All of these things coalescing in the last year or so to really raise climate to the top of people's minds. That is the thing that has to see progress this year. If it's not going to be this year, I'm not sure when it's going to be. But as we have seen, COVID-19 and now economic concerns could be a big distraction from that. And what we're trying to communicate with this virtual event this spring is we can't get distracted. We have to deal with all the issues at the same time, COVID, the economy, climate. We have to do all of the above. We don't really have the luxury of putting it off anymore. I completely agree. And looking at it holistically and not pushing climate to the side is going to be so critical. And I'm really hopeful that our leaders continue to make sure that this is a priority in plans going forward. And so our final question is, what do you see as the biggest challenge in your day-to-day -day work in sustainability? Yeah, I think 